Relationships make life rich. Jesus is all about relationships. Everything he does is for us to connect with him and for us to connect with each other. Jesus shows us the way to move from a season of profound disconnect into a life of thriving relationships. So what did Jesus have to say about reconnecting our relationships? What did he say about marriage, about commitment? What did he say about reconnecting families? And what did he say about reconnecting races and ethnicities? It's time to reconnect, but this time, reconnecting the way Jesus teaches. Why? Because relationships make life rich. There's a deep longing in the heart of every human to be loved and to love, to know and be known. Uh, we're looking for connection. In fact, one of our life commitments is to be connected. In this new series, Jesus on Relationships, we're going to take the time to really talk about what Jesus said about relationships and how to be connected. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things when it comes to being connected. And how does that look and what is that how does that live out with, with people? And you think about relationships, you think about marriage, really what was Jesus thinking? Now, Jesus is all about relationships. He wants relationships with us that are transformational by his power, and he wants us to be connected with others in the body of Christ because we've been changed by him. And it sounds so good, but in reality, it is so incredibly difficult. Not difficult for Jesus, but difficult for us. Now, today, I'm going to talk about what Jesus said about marriage. That's going to be kind of our opening salvo. And what does he say, and what does that mean? Now, Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees about divorce. And now, you got to think, remember this, okay? There were four distinct uh, kind of political, theological groups in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were ultra-conservative and legalistic. The Sadducees were liberal and loose, and they made rules as they went. The Essenes were hippies, and they stayed away from everybody, and the Zealots were crazy, and they were insurrectionists trying to take over the government. Okay, so, but the Pharisees were asking Jesus these questions, and they asked him about divorce, and he made a comment about the condition of their heart. And, you know, of course, they were depending on Mosaic laws. If you don't like your wife, get another one. And so he said, Moses gave you this because your heart was hardened. But this is what Jesus said, and then he gave a description about marriage before he addressed the situation about divorce. Jesus told them, this is Mark 10, 5 through 9. Jesus told them, He, Moses, wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your heart. From the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, we, I say that at the end of a marriage ceremony. Therefore, what God has... Uh, join together, let no man put asunder. That's a kind of an old English word. It's kind of a weird word, but let no man separate. So what Jesus did, he addressed their dysfunctional behavior. Then he said a lot in a very short statement about what he believes about marriage. So we're going to lean in to what Jesus was thinking. God the Father was thinking. God the Son was thinking. God the Holy Spirit was thinking when he created the bond of marriage. So this ought to be fun. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you 
for what you're going to say to us as we dive into your word today. And I pray that we'll listen with attentive ears, whether we're married or not married, we have been married, we're going to get married, uh, whatever. Help us to deal with this truth, you own relationships, in a way that leads us to life and peace. And I thank you for what you're going to say and do. And I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. I, uh, when I lived in Canada, I preached a sermon similar to this. And afterwards, a lady came up and said, Yeah, Pastor Scott, you're not as dumb as people think you are. Well, <laughs> might be, but we're going to dive into this. And this is kind of a deep creek of theology. So let's swim across it and let's see what Jesus says about marriage. First of all, we're created in God's image. And from that image, we find the longing for connection. That's why we talk about God wants you to be connected to him through salvation and connected to the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. God uses the analogy of marriage to simulate, to, to, to be symbolic of our relationship with Jesus. The church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. So what does that look like? We're longing for connection. Here it is in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. What does that mean? Do we look like God? No. Uh, some of us are God-awful looking. Well, do we look like God? No. That means we're created in his image of the longing for connectedness. Then he gives this, this pronouncement. In connectedness, he gives us a purpose. They will rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry around on the ground. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. So God created us. Now, get this, y'all. We are spiritual beings first and foremost. We're created to live forever in our spirit. These outward bodies of us, they're declaring and de decaying and, and getting old and getting crippled and, and fading away. Um, I, I, I realize that my tan that I had as a young man are turning to spots I have as an old man. So whatever. But we are created to be spiritual. Because God is relational, he's built for us the need of relationships. Men and women, they're equal in creation, but he's created us to be complementary in our roles of one another. Now, in our group life this, this, time, this, this session, we're going to talk about the difference between men and women and how we're complementary. We shouldn't be in competition. We should be complementary to one another in our function. And what does that look like and what does that mean? We'll talk more about that. So in looking at this, then we have to understand Hebrew language, the writings of Hebrew, of the, of the Hebrew Old Testament, really give us a, an idea into the heart of God as he intended, as he created man and women. Relational, desiring, and then also spiritual in being. So it is. The Hebrew word for man is ish, I-S-H, and it means the one who pierces. Now, physiologically, I shouldn't have to explain to you what it means the one who pierces. If you get my drift, if you don't, you can email Tom C at fbcwimberly.com. He'll answer your questions. But anyway, or Scott at fbcwimberly.com. He'll answer your questions. So what, he, what it means here is that he is the one who pursues, who initiates, who is the one who is going to be the protector and the provider. He's the one who instigates. The Hebrew name for woman is ish'ah. That means the one who's pierced. Okay, there again, physiologically, you can figure that out. But what that means is she's the one who receives. 
Women are more socially and relationally and physically aware than men are. Women can multitask, men can't. It's the way God made us in the ish and the ish ah. Now, these are two-part assignment that are both domestic and vocation. <clears throat> domestic to be fruitful and multiply and dominion rule over both roles. Domestic roles are not gender-based, y'all. It's not. They're based on a complementary partnership to be fruitful, have dominion, rule over both roles. Wow. So let's go back to the garden, okay? Let's see what it was like before sin came and screwed things up. Here it is. And the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's a rescuer from his aloneness. That's what it literally means, a companion to help him, or a help meet, as the King James says, which is really creepy, um, a rescuer from his aloneness. So, God, the, so the Lord God formed from the soil the soil kind of, of every animal and bird, and he brought them to Adam to see what we call them. And Adam chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, the birds, the wild animals, but still there was no companion suitable for him. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the place from which he'd taken it. And then the Lord God made a woman from his rib and brought her to Adam. At last, he exclaimed, she's a part of my own flesh and bone. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. Now, if you'll just remember, a few minutes ago, Jesus quoted Genesis. Jesus didn't come to do away with what was. He came to make it all new. And he quoted Genesis in this. When God created man and men and women, he had marriage in mind. He had a complementary union of two spiritual beings coming together, Ish and Ish-ah, to live under his cover. An ex an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. That's what he had in mind. Now, it's interesting. God calls Adam to fall. God calls Adam to name all the animals, and then he calls him to fall asleep, and he brought him uh, the woman. It's really interesting. See, this is what God does. God always he accentuates your need before he meets your need. God brought up a longing for Adam to have one like him by seeing all these animals, a male and a female, a male and a female, a male and a female. And he said, there's no one like me. So God got the desire for him revved up before he met the desire to meet the needs of his heart. Now, in this, con this, this connection of complementary roles to have dominion and rule over, there has to be mutual submission in order to, com to complement and not to com compete. One is suitable to rescue, not the same, but equal. That's really what it means. Equal in salvation, complementary in the roles we play as husband and wife. I was talking to a bride the other day, and there's this old saying in marriage ceremonies, when the father comes down the aisle with the, you know, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And it, she said, it really sounds misogynistic. I said, what about this? Who blesses this woman to be given to this man? She goes, I like that. You see, as a father, I don't own my daughter. I don't own my wife. But I bless them. And I bless their union. And that's what God does for us. <clears throat> it's not given in marriage, but blessed in marriage and given away. I know you said, Scott, that sounds ridiculous. Okay, whatever. I'm just trying to be helpful. 
Furthermore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it says in Ephesians 5.21. So if you want to have a successful biblical marriage, then you learn to submit to one another, not dominate each other. And to complement one another, not compete with one another. So with three moves a man makes as ish to bring married fulfill, marriage fulfillment in his life. Flesh of one flesh, he makes a sexual move towards his wife. He initiates her. He lo loves her. And because woman is taken out of to be included back into. He connects with her. And that's the beauty of married love. And it produces children, the, the product of love. Now, sexual relationships are supposed to be the bliss of God in marriage. Uh, they're not just simply for procreation. I'm not going to get into that. That's creepy. I'm not going there. But it's the blessing of God, and a man makes the initiating move. But he also makes a relational move to cleave to her. That means to create unconditional security in her, to say, you are mine and I am yours. And then there's a spiritual move he makes. There's a sexual, relational, and then a spiritual. The spiritual move is to be naked and without shame. That means I'm going to be transparent before you in my spiritual life. That's three bold moves a man makes. But there's three bold receptions a woman receives. Oh, what? Yeah. See, man is ish, the initiator. Woman is the receiver. So she allows her husband to approach her physically, sexually. She allows her husband to make that relational connection with security. And she allows that husband to be open and honest and transparent and brings about this connection. Any actions that dominate or demean or control are not of God. Everything is rooted in honor. And I'm going to give you more of that in our life group material that's coming up. A married relationship reflects God's relationship with us, the church. John 14 1 through 6, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you. That where I am, you will be also. You know where I'm going. You know the way. That was a Jewish proposal speech. It's what a Jewish man would tell a Jewish girl or woman about getting married. It was a standard speech. Oh, Jesus says that to us. Oh, this is a covenant relationship. I made a covenant to God to love Tara. Tara made a covenant to God to love me. And we will love each other in making those bold moves that I make toward her, and she allows me to make, and we live in a complementary role in marriage. What happened? Paradise was lost, y'all, through sin. The curse to the woman of sin was this. And God said to the woman after she had eaten the fruit, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. How would she know about childbirth that she hadn't already birthed children? Just something for you all to dig around with and talk about. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. The curse of sin is female dominance and male counter-dominance. Here's the curse to man. And, man, and he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living for it, from it, and you will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground for which you were made, for you are made from dust and you'll return to dust. In other words, what he's saying is that your relationships are broken. 
You're going to try to find your worth from work and not from your wife, and it's going to be a waste of stinking time. And you're going to be frustrated. So you're going to try to dominate her. And guys, if you're trying to find your self-worth from your bank account or your vocation, guess what? It ain't going to work. It's not going to work. Because God intended you for connectedness. He continued to he created you for relationship. And he wants you to have that with your wife. See, relational brokenness is the result of sin. That pleasure then leads to pain. Intimacy will lead to control. And control will lead to unmet needs and unmet expectations. And the sin of you can be God causes selfishness to ruin our relationships. When selfishness rules, intimacy dies. And this carries itself outside of marriage as well in, in misogynistic behavior. And what we've seen in the Me Too movement and other things of, of abuse and, and perversion and all these things. But here's the deal. Jesus could change your marriage. Jesus could change your view of men and women. Jesus could change your life. That's what he longs to do. That's what he says about relationships. Listen to this. You were dead because of your sin, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And God made you alive in Christ. He forgave your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over sin over the cross. That's Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You see, Jesus, cha Jesus changes everything, including relationships. Jesus could change our culture. Where abuse and neglect and dominance and control and, and bellicose behavior is gone. Jesus could change this, and he longs to this. Jesus wants your marriage to thrive in a complementary relationship of mutual sub submission and love and care and honor for one another. He could do that. He could fix any marriage. It's a mess. Jesus could do it. He could forgive any sin. He could fix it. Jesus could do it. You see, love is a decision that leads to life. And when we, reckon, we, and we are reconciled in our marriages and our families and our lives, then we become reconcilers to the world. It's all held in God's hand. We should never settle for anything less than a thriving, dynamic, relational connection in our marriage. You have to battle for it. You have to war against the drift. You have to do those things that build your marriage. And this is the process to commit, to personally commit to God and personally commit to your marriage. Relational commitment to cleave to your marriage. Now I'm going to talk more about this in the days ahead. and There's going to be more podcasts that I'm going to give on this in the Scott Weatherford Leadership Podcast. But I want you to catch this. It's all about saying, I'm going to do this because Jesus is empowering me to do this. I'm going to do this. You see, God's all about relationship. Your relationship to him and then your relationship to each other. Come to Jesus and his love and live. Jesus said he was addressing the hardness of their hearts when he said what he said about marriage. And Jesus could take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Jesus wants your marriage to thrive in him. Come to Jesus. Father, thank you for what you say about marriage and what you teach us through your word. And Lord, I know at this time it wasn't enough to really dig into this deep, but I pray in the days ahead you'll allow us to do just that. But you will be the Lord of our marriage. You'll be the Lord of our lives. And let us find the intimacy in you and the commitment to one another, the mutual submission 
and complementary nature of our marriages, our future marriages, to live all for you. Thank you for what you're going to say and do and live in us as we commit to you. Now, Father, there's some that need to give their lives to you. There's some spouses together that need to hold hands and recommit themselves to you today. And I pray that they'll take advantage of that, whispering, Jesus, I'm yours. Whispering, Jesus, we are yours. And live together in the holy bonds of matrimony. All for you, King Jesus. We pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Thanks for joining. I hope this has helped. Take advantage of all the resources we're providing. And thank you for your generosity as we give to make Jesus famous. God bless you. I hope this has helped.